This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Merrill. Merrill exists to give you all you need to discover the simple yet profound power of the trail. They believe the trail is for everybody and everybody. Merrill's goal is to provide thoughtfully designed, rigorously tested products that over-deliver on performance, versatility, and durability. Because when you've got air in your lungs and good shoes on your feet, you've got everything you need. For longer backpacking trips, the right boots make a big difference. Merrill has a pair of boots called the Moab 2s. In this context, Moab stands for mother of all boots, and having tested them, I'm not surprised. They're waterproof for crossing streams, have vibram traction for mossy New England rocks, and they're really durable. Definitely a plus when you're carrying everything you need on your back. Learn more at Merrill.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-L-L.com. This episode of She Explorers is also brought to you by Deuter, who have been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs German-engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. They're also a leader of sustainability in the outdoor industry because they build their packs to summit mountains, not landfills. Stay tuned for later in the episode. I'll talk with my teammate Laura Hughes about her recent backpacking trip in the eastern Sierra and the Deuter pack she chose to take along. Learn more by heading to deuter.com. That's D-E-U-T-E-R dot com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. I took my first backpacking trip this summer while I was living and working in Yosemite National Park. And actually, it was my first solo backpacking trip, too. Before I left for the summer, I had a whole host of reasons why I shouldn't go. I was irresponsible to be going to play summer camp when I should be working on finding a full-time job here in Pittsburgh. I'm almost 30. Was this really how I should be spending my time when all my friends are buying houses and having babies? Most of all, I was sure I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't be outdoorsy enough for the rest of my coworkers or people living in the valley, that I didn't have the right gear or the right experiences. Not much of these thoughts changed while I drove across the country, and I still got to the valley a little unsure But as the weeks went on, I felt more at home. And after a while, I knew that I wanted to switch from just day hikes to an overnight trip. So I got a permit for Cathedral Lakes, drove the road to Tioga Pass, and used the bungee cord that I'd brought to secure my bike as I drove across the country to strap my sleeping bag and tent to the outside of my Patagonia black hole duffel bag. I started the hike in not expecting the snow drifts up to my knees or the water from snow melt running across the path. But as I turned the last corner and Cathedral Peak and Lake came into view, I knew without a doubt that this is exactly what my heart needed. I found a rock high above the lake to set up my tent for the night and climbed down the bank to sit and eat my pre-made turkey sandwich and drink my cold beer as the sun set and left the last light on the peak high above. As the stars came out, and so did the mosquitoes. I climbed into my tent to read by the light of my headlamp and fall fast asleep. I woke with the sun and sat watching the sky become illuminated the first light of day while I ate trail mix and packed up my tent. As I slowly started the trek back out to my car, grateful for the experience I had before, the only thought that kept repeating in my mind was this. I'm slowly unlearning the things I tell myself are true, the things that I believe that I can't or won't or just am not. 
These lies have held me back from experiences like this in the past. And I don't want that to be my story. I'm so grateful for that night in the wilderness and everything it taught me. Backpacking can be pure magic. I've got this really bad habit, starting a day and looking out at all the hours ahead of me and focusing on how little time I have. So I adore the way time slows down on the trail. I'm more attuned to sound and more present in my body and the fuel it needs to make it to my resting point for the day. The familiar weight of the pack on my hips reminds me of where I am, of who I am. And after the trip, when I'm tired and surprised by the length I walked or the weight I carried or the things I saw, I love knowing that it was worth it. Like Maggie, who you heard at the start of the episode, each trip is a reminder of what I can do. I want to share that experience, the feeling of backpacking with you all, but I'm not an expert. So I asked members of our community to share their first backpacking stories and their advice. And I also talked to someone who I consider an expert, Heather Baylog Rochefort, who you heard on our Adventure Moms episode. Listening to what you all had to offer, I'm moved by your collective wisdom and encouragement. I think backpacking is for those strong of heart, and there is a whole lot of heart in this episode. There's no one age to start backpacking, but Holly started in her youth. I started backpacking when I was in middle school. I don't know where the itch came from, but one day I woke up and I knew I needed to go. So I signed up for a summer camp as a middle schooler, and I was going to go for a three-day backpacking trip. I don't remember what I packed, but I do remember being very unsure of what I should pack. Probably a lot of cotton shirts and cotton underwear and things I would never pack now. Our first day hiking was so uphill, and our second day had a lot of uphill too. I remember my legs hurting. I remember stopping a lot, saying to myself, ugh, this kind of sucks. But I also remember the smell, immediately hopping out of the van in the rain, smelling the tulip poplars and the oak trees of western North Carolina, and feeling so at home. We were on the Appalachian Trail. We were headed north, the exact way that other full-time through hikers would be heading. I was so excited to be doing something that felt so connected, so momentous. On our last night, we camped at a beautiful bald. It was a place called Max Patch, just a little southwest of Asheville, North Carolina. It was so beautiful. I remember feeling like I was in a movie, some kind of fairy tale almost. We set up our tents on top of the bald, we cooked dinner there, and we fell asleep. In the middle of the night, I heard some people being loud outside of our tent, and I got up to go give them a piece of my mind. I found that they were all college students looking at a meteor shower. So I laid down on the blanket with them and I watched the whole thing. It was amazing. By the end of the night, when they bagged up their blankets and everything, they all wished me luck on my next year of middle school, and even more luck on my hopeful transfer to high school soon. It was an amazing experience, full of so much connection and so much joy, and that's part of why I keep backpacking. When I was in college, 
I ended up running the same backpacking program that I participated in as a middle schooler. And then I started doing backpacking full time. And then I stopped to go do other things. But I still backpack a lot in my free time. And now I take my friends and my family members. I love sharing this shared world with them. It's a beautiful thing. I took up backpacking on a bit of a whim shortly after my 40th birthday. My very first backpacking trip was my first overnight and my first solo trip all rolled into one. About a month before the trip, I had been diagnosed with an allergy that forced me to close my business. I needed to clear my head and my lungs and get some space and perspective. So I decided I was going to take a trip and I was going to go on my own. I headed for the Bruce Trail. The Bruce is about a 900 kilometer long trail that follows the Niagara Escarpment across southern Ontario from Niagara Falls to Tobamori. I can access it out my front door, but decided to head north about 300 kilometers to the northern terminus. I borrowed a tent and a pack and a stove and a water filter and all kinds of other bits and bobs, and then I bought myself a sleeping bag and hit the trail. The Bruce isn't designed for through hiking, so I eased my way into the wilderness. The first day I got dropped off about 10 kilometers south of my destination and hiked north to the terminus, where I stayed at a hotel. I boiled my water in the hotel coffee maker and ate my mountain house meal, lounging on a comfy bed where I had an amazing sleep. The next morning the hotel shuttled me back to where I stayed, started the day previous and I hiked south into the Bruce Peninsula National Park. That second day was grueling. My pack was heavy and my body was untrained, but my mind felt sharp for the first time in ages and I marched on with my thoughts and the nature for company. That night I stayed at an organized campground. I sat by the fire for an hour before bed and when it came time to stand up, I could barely move. My body was so sore. My hips ached, my feet hurt. In fact, just about everything hurt, but I felt so good knowing that I had just completed something that was a real challenge for me. The third morning I hiked into the actual backcountry, right after changing my reservation to a closer campsite and shaving about 10 kilometers off my day. I was actually super proud of myself for making this change, knowing that I was truly listening to my body and knowing when to ease up on the gas, something I'd never been very good at in the past. That night in the backcountry made me feel like a bit of a badass who could tackle anything. The Bruce Trail was Jennifer's inspiration for a new creative pursuit. I've since started a company called Wanderlove. I make custom topographical art maps. I love the work I do now, and I love connecting with folks about their favorite places and pouring over maps with fellow map geeks and learning about other fabulous places that I should adventure to. I'll link Jennifer's business, Wanderlove. Love is spelled L-U-V in the show notes. I was 28 the first time I went out. It was an overnight on Cutler Coast in Maine, a little bit north of Acadia. I went with my partner, and he carried the bulk of the weight. In a lot of ways, the trip was marked by what we left behind. We forgot fuel for our jet boil. Luckily, had enough food for the night, though. Earplugs to block out the noise of a foghorn that we didn't know would go off every 10 seconds. And playing cards to keep us busy after the sun went down. The mosquitoes were so aggressive that I lost count at 50 bites on my legs alone, and I was silly enough to wear stretch pants instead of loose hiking pants. But it was absolutely beautiful. The water was a deep sapphire blue, like nothing I'd ever seen before, and there were just four backcountry camping sites. I wouldn't say I was hooked right then after that trip, but I was intrigued. 
One thing I love about hearing your first backpacking stories is that they aren't perfect, but they're enough to open the door. Hey, it's Lindsay Falkenberg over at Tandem Trekking. Let's see, I must have been 19 or 20. Um, had just recently moved to Arizona to work for a conservation corps, and I decided to go on my first backpacking trip. And it was it was a wild ride. It snowed, and we weren't expecting it. I brought all of the clothing that I owned, none of which was technical. I think I had a cotton sweatshirt and you know a really big down jacket that I would have worn like to a nice dinner. We had to burn the handbook that the organization I was working for had given us in order to start a fire that night. And I think we might have technically been in a wilderness area, so we shouldn't have even had a fire. Yeah, it was it was something. But we had an incredible time. We only brought hot dogs and hot toddy making. So that's all we had for our meal that night. And I was completely hooked after that. And I think a little, little over a year later, we were heading out to hike the AT. So... Everyone starts somewhere. Power to you. When I first went backpacking, I didn't even know what it was. I was on my spring break of my first year of college, and I was in an outdoor adventure group, and they were planning this one-week trip to Zion over spring break, and I just joined on a whim. This is Victoria Wang, a podcaster behind Teacher Life Pod. I brought my backpack, which I use for school, some tennis shoes and normal like athletic wear and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. We ended up hiking and spending I think three to four days in a canyon and there were river crossings so my feet were just completely soaked. I'm pretty sure that my sleeping pad was just a yoga mat that I had borrowed from somebody. I had absolutely no gear And I was just there. I had no idea what I was doing, and I'm pretty sure everyone else just took care of me. But now I backpack whenever I can. Um, I'm a teacher, so over the summers, over Thanksgiving, over winter break, if I can get out of Texas, which is where I live, and go on a backpacking trip somewhere, I do it. And it's become a really important part of my life now. Going back... I honestly don't think I would have wanted to know anything else when I started. I knew nothing, and honestly, I think that's what made me fall in love with it. As I started learning more about backpacking and doing more research, that's when a lot of imposter syndrome started coming up, and I started feeling like I had to hike a certain number of miles a day, or I had to spend a certain number of nights out in the wilderness, or I had to have the absolute best gear in order to be a legitimate backpacker. And I think if I had felt that kind of pressure going into it, I wouldn't have been as present during those three nights in the canyon. And I wouldn't have enjoyed every moment of it. And I wouldn't have, like I said, just been there. So I guess my advice going into backpacking, if you are thinking about it, is that there is a wealth of information out there about things that you need to go backpacking and things that you should do to prepare. And those all have a time and place for you to learn it. But also go in knowing that you don't have to prove yourself to anyone and that just you being out there is enough. You don't need to look a certain way. You don't need to have any gear. If you hike one mile, 
that's awesome. If you hike 18, that's great. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're present. And sometimes that requires nice gear and then sometimes that doesn't. You can just take your tennis shoes and your backpack and just head out into the canyon and have a blast. We'll hear practical tips from Heather Baylog Roachfort, who literally wrote the book on beginner backpacking, as well as advice from listeners after this. Houseplants help keep you connected to nature, but it can be tough to know how to get started. That's where Rooted comes in. Rooted is nature delivered. They're a modern day plant brand that makes it easy to fill your home with beautiful plants and keep them flourishing. I got to try out Rooted. I took a quiz on their website, rooted.nyc, and I found a few plants that work great for my less than green thumb and high travel lifestyle. I talked to my colleague, Laura Hughes, host of our sister podcast, Women on the Road, about my experience. So Laura, I heard and I've seen that you have some new members of your family. Yes, I do. I just got two little kittens a couple of months ago. I'm not really ready for kittens yet or dogs. So from a pet perspective, I'm actually more interested in plants. And I recently acquired a few new plants and I did that through Rooted. Oh, wow. That sounds really awesome. What kind of plants? I got a snake plant, a prayer plant, and a rubber tree. And all three of those plants are ones that take, it's like every week or every two weeks they need watering, and they are actually not as picky about light. They're like low-maintenance new family members. That's perfect. They're probably way less maintenance than my kittens. <laughs> Bring nature in. Learn more by heading to rooted.nyc explore and use the code EXPLORE for 15% off your order. That's R-O-O-T-E-D dot N-Y-C slash EXPLORE, and use code EXPLORE for 15% off your order. Rooted.NYC slash EXPLORE. We're back. In creating a beginner episode, I want to make sure I brought an experienced backpacker to talk through some of the basics. Heather Baylog Roachfort is the outdoor writer behind the blog Just a Colorado Gal and the author of the books Backpacking 101 and her newest Women Who Hike. Heather's a great resource for all things backpacking. We won't be able to cover everything, but we can point you in the right direction. I started off by asking Heather about her first trip. I'm definitely someone that learns a lot by trial and error, and I tend to jump straight into the fire and figure it out later. So my first backpacking trip was not what I would recommend for most people. I went down to Chicago Basin in the San Juans in Southern Colorado. And it's these days, it's a pretty popular backpacking spot. This was almost 20 years ago now, so it was quieter then. But there's two options to get into the basin, and most people take this really cool train that's down there, and it drops you off at the trail. And I think from where the train drops you off, you have maybe an eight or nine mile hike into the basin where people set up camp, and then you can climb all the 14ers that are surrounding you. Well, my friend and I were both broke college students. We didn't want to pay the $100 for the train ride or whatever it was. <laughs> So we decided to hike the whole thing from what they call, I think it's Purgatory Flats Trailhead, 
which basically amounts to a 15 or a 16 mile day with a lot of elevation gain. So we picked a distance that was not manageable. Um, we picked an elevation gain that was not manageable for our fitness levels at the time. And then to make the situation worse, I had absolutely no idea what to pack in the slightest. And my 19 year old self thought it would be a great idea to pack only canned food because my logic at the time was like, oh, that's easy. I can just dump it into a bowl, cook it over our backpacking stove. It'll be easy. I didn't know there was dehydrated meals or anything like that. The weight honestly never occurred to me. So I think my pack was probably 65 pounds, 70 pounds, like, and it just hammered me. And to cut cut the story here, no surprise, we did not make it to the basin in one day. <laughs> I think we made it to about 11 miles, like just the outside of where you're allowed to start camping. And I was like, I cannot go any further. We need to camp here overnight. So we set up a bivy in the first campsite we found that was like 100 yards off the trail. It was not in the glorious basin with the peaks surrounding us, but it was one of the few times in my life where I was like, I literally cannot take another step right now. I need to sleep. I did this all wrong. Um, <laughs> But you learn, right? You learn your lessons. I have never once taken canned food backpacking. And as an adult, I would happily pay the $100 to have that train drop us off right at the start of the pretty stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Heather's first trip wasn't that different than mine. 20 years later, she's full of advice. We jump right in. Let's say I'm a beginner hiker. I'm just getting started hiking, um, maybe starting to explore like a little bit longer trails. Would you say that I should jump into backpacking if I'm curious about it? You know, the thing with backpacking is that I think it's less about how much experience you have as a hiker and more about your overall physical fitness. Because for me anyway, personally, the hardest part about backpacking is carrying the load. That just comes down to what kind of shape you're in. So if you feel like, you know, you've been doing hikes of maybe, you know, you can handle five, six, seven miles and you feel like you can carry at least 30 pounds, 35 pounds, I would say you're ready. There's not, not too much to it. You don't have to overthink it. One of the more intimidating things when I think about getting started is what I need to pack. Heather simplifies it for us. They have something in the outdoor world called the 10 essentials. Those are kind of the easiest way to guide your packing because those 10 essentials, which are now called the 10 essential systems, are the 10 categories of anything you're going to need when you're out there. Navigation, light, like a headlamp, sun protection, first aid, a knife, something to make fire, a shelter of some capacity, extra food, extra water, and extra clothes. Of course, that doesn't include like a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad, but those 10 categories will cover you in 85% of the situations you're going to encounter when, I, when you're out there. So I always start there, kind of walk through all of those. You say, okay, I need shelter. That's going to be my tent or my hammock, whatever I'm sleeping in. Got that on the list, you know, check, check. Extra food, extra water. How many days am I going to be out? How much food do I need? You know, you can kind of run through those categories, <clears throat> excuse me, run through those categories and line it up. And then I like to lay everything out on the floor, like a massive area of floor. I kind of make a mess when I pack and I lay it all out and look at it because then the other factor you want to consider is how much weight you're carrying. You know, sure, it's great to bring everything and 
live the lavish life when you're out there, but you have to carry it. And that part is kind of brutal. So the rule of thumb is that you don't want to carry more than 20% of your body weight. So if you weigh 120 pounds, for example, what is that? 12, 25 pounds. That's a 25 pack. Um, and you kind of go from there. A lot of the times you're going to carry more than that, but that's kind of a general idea that if you're carrying 20%, that's manageable. You could do it. And so I always take those two factors into consideration when I'm packing and usually it comes out. Okay. Yeah. For a first time trip, would you recommend like a certain number of nights or is that dependent on the person? I, I would for for beginners that are starting out, I don't think you want to bite off more than you can chew because the worst thing that can happen is you end up spending too many nights out there going too far of distances. You're miserable. Something bad happens. You're exhausted. You're ragged when you get back to the car and you're like, I'm never going to do this again. That is not what you want to have happen. So for beginners, I always recommend going out for just a single overnight because that means that A, you're probably not that far from the car. And if something, you know, goes awry, you can always get back to the car if needed. But two, that just gives you a single night where you can test everything out. You can figure out how your gear works. You can decide which systems work for you. You can decide this was comfortable, but this was terrible. I'm never going to do that again, but it's temporary because you know, you're going back to the car tomorrow. So I always recommend a single night for everybody in best case scenario. You get back to the car the next day, you feel refreshed, energized, like you have a ton of energy left. That's great because that means you're going to go home and start planning your next trip, which is exactly what you want. So for one night, what size backpacking bag would you recommend? Oh, so it depends as, as does everything, I guess yeah. <laughs> when you're starting out, you definitely don't want to go ultralight. I know there's a lot of talk of ultralight these days and it's easy to understand why, because ultralight means it's going to be a lot easier to carry. But that said, ultralight gear packs in particular tend to be flimsier. It's cutting down on too much that I don't think beginners are ready to cut down on. So When you're starting out, I would say if you're going to buy one size backpack, for example, I would start with around maybe a 40 liter, 45 liter, and that will work for an overnight. That will probably carry you into a little bit longer of trips as well, but that means you don't have to go out and buy 11 billion backpacks either, which is great. (laughs) Gear costs money too, you know, so it's a deal if you can find a sweet spot that, okay, maybe this backpack's a little big for my overnights, but it also works for two and three nighters. That's, that's nicer than being like, okay, I have to buy an overnight pack. I have to buy a weekender pack. I have to buy a long haul pack. That adds up. You don't know if you're going to like it either. Heather recommends looking into your local outfitter, like an RAI, to see if they have a gear rental program. It'll save you money and help you get a sense of what works for you. I asked Heather what her thoughts are on going with a group or going by yourself for your first backpacking trip. I would absolutely recommend a group. I think solo backpacking is wonderful and it's fun. And I think every experienced backpacker should do it at some point. I think you learn a lot about yourself, but I also believe that it can be very intimidating and backpacking in general is intimidating. So I think you're adding too many variables into that mixture for the first go around. And if you go with a group, you know, I recommend maybe two or three people for that first trip A, it helps you with safety. So if anything happens, if someone hurts themselves or 
anything worse happens, there's other people there for backup. It helps if you're going with people that have experience because they have a lot of knowledge that you can then use in various situations when questions come up. And it also just helps as a support system because backpacking can be hard. And sometimes when you're schlepping this 40 pound pack up a hill and you're halfway up thinking to yourself, what in the world did I get myself into? It's nice to have company with you to help cheer you on and encourage you and feel like you're not in it alone. So I would 100% recommend a group. Backpacking solo on your first trip is possible, as we've heard from others at the beginning of the episode, but it's also very personal. Within reason, though, Heather thinks you should have a working knowledge of wilderness resources like Leave No Trace before you go. I think it's a good idea to brush up on it or at least go to Leave No Trace's website, for example, and understand what it is. I don't think everyone needs to be a walking dictionary of all the principles before they can set foot on trail because the reality is nobody's perfect and everybody's going to make mistakes. If you put that kind of pressure on yourself to know everything all at the beginning, it's going to be like a paralysis by analysis. You're never going to get out there. But I do think people should understand just the general concept of leave no trace in terms of leaving everything as good as or better than it was when you found it. Because that's the that's the overarching principle of Leave No Trace and human behavior in the wilderness, is that you don't want people to go out there and trash it. There's a lot of specific principles that go into that in terms of where you can camp and how you can camp and how you should pack everything out with you and how you should handle it when you have to go poop and all those different things. But it all boils down to leaving Mother Nature as good as or as better as it was than when you found it. So... If you can kind of go out there with a general knowledge of that end goal, I think you're okay to start and you can keep learning. That said, I do think people need to continue learning because Leave No Trace and wilderness ethics are a hot topic these days with public lands and more and more people are getting out there. So it is important for humans to understand their impact on the environment. And so I definitely think people should continue their learning experience But I really don't want that to be a barrier to entry for beginners. Hmm. Yeah. I think like for me before I started backpacking, being completely honest, my one of my biggest reservations was going to the bathroom outside um, Mm -hmm. and not feeling comfortable with it. Is there anything that you would say to put people at ease in terms of, um, you know, if you're going to spend 24 hours outside and the inevitable happens, like what to be prepared for? You know, personal hygiene in general in the backcountry, I would argue that's probably everybody's biggest concern from people that email me or message me or talk to me in real life. Whenever we talk about backpacking, that is inevitably the first question that comes up is how do I poop in the woods? You know, how do I handle the bathroom situation? And for women, you know, there's additional how do I handle my period when I'm out there? And the reality is that it's going to be different. You know, there's not going to be a bathroom and running water and all those things like you have at home, but the act is the same and you know, your body's going to do what it's going to do. And you just have to find the appropriate disposal method. Um, and that again comes back to reading up on leave no trace a little bit, understanding about cat holes or in a lot of places that means that you have to pack it out, which Sounds a little odd at first, and I understand that, but, and you know, it's no different than changing a diaper for those that have kids or something like that. You know, it's not 
weird. And if you think about it, the added benefit is that you are getting to use the restroom in a beautiful place. Like the sun is shining, there's birds chirping, there's trees everywhere. I would argue that is the world's best bathroom. So really, it should be like a highlight of your trip. <laughs> I will say from the hygiene perspective, it's really, I feel like there are a lot more products for women that are designed for women in the backcountry. And it it's just like, it seems like a nice place to be. Like even with like cooler cloth, like in the last year or so, that cooler cloth came out and being able to kind of like have a high tech pea cloth that makes you more comfortable with that. The fact that people are talking about period cups more, you know, like moon cups or like diva cups. Um, it's just nice that those conversations are happening and that products are being designed specifically for women to make it more accessible to spend more time outside. Absolutely. I think a lot back to when I first started backpacking and I was in college, so I was like 19 or so. And all of my outdoor friends were men, every last one of them. So it was always me and the guys. And I learned about, you know, all of this hygiene stuff again, trial and error. And when you're, it's you and, you know, six guys in your 20 somethings, which is not, you know, the beacon of maturity to begin with. You don't want to walk up to this group of guys and be like, I just started my period. What do I do? <laughs> you know, There weren't a lot of products. So you didn't feel like you had any type of support with you. You couldn't find stuff on the internet. You couldn't walk into an outdoor store and find anything. But like you said, now there's there's so many products out there. I have a Kula cloth and I love it. It's been like the best addition to my backpacking kit this year. And even our daughter, she's in that potty training phase and we take her backpacking. She's two. And she always walks into the woods with me when I have to pee and I bring my Kula and she's fascinated with how mom pees because that's what she's learning to do. So she squats next to me. So we like simultaneously squat and I keep telling her she's going to get her own Kula and she already knows the word Kula actually because she's heard me say it so many times and she sees mom with it. So automatically it's a cool item because mom uses it all the time. We were backpacking last week in the Olympic Peninsula in Washington and she was with us. And it made me realize, like, watching how comfortable she was with doing it and how comfortable, you know, she was already seeing this Kula cloth and the behavior of, you know, what it took to go pee in the woods and all these things. I'm like, she's going to have so much available to her now. And that is so nice because it wasn't available 15, 20 years ago. Hygiene on the trail is a big topic and probably the makings of a future episode. I'll make sure to link a few resources in the show notes related to periods and using the bathroom. Safety is another consideration, no matter your gender. I guess there's three things I always tell people when they're starting out in terms of personal safety, because I do think when people start backpacking, a lot of times they're nervous about their safety when they're out there. That's you know near the top of the list. And the three things I usually tell people, one goes back to the 10 essentials because one of those is a first aid kit. So assuming you packed your essentials, you have a first aid kit, which means you should have adequate medical supplies to handle any situation. But beyond that, I always recommend that people do some research of the area they're going to. And that way they know kind of what they're getting themselves into. So that means you're less likely to force a situation that involves unsafe behavior, you know, so you're not going to get to the point of the trail where you're like, oh shoot, I'm on the top of a cliff with loose rocks and I don't know where to go or, you know, anything like that. So do your research that ensures things are going to go smoother. 
But then the big one too is that I always, always, always tell people to leave a plan with someone back home. And this can be like a neighbor or a friend or a family member, someone you trust, someone that's not going to go out partying one night and forget that you ever said anything to them. But you let them know where you are, where you're going, what your schedule looks like, and when you're supposed to be back. And so that way, if you're not back in time, your group's not back in time, this friend or family member can kind of keep an eye on that and be like, oh, hey, Heather said she was supposed to be home two days ago and I haven't heard from her. So if that person then needs to call the authorities or something more extreme, they can give them an idea. Hey, she said she was on this trail. She was supposed to be going out for three days. And if something bad happens, that information could be absolutely invaluable in terms of making sure that you're returned safely. Sometimes it feels like women are told to be, you know, that they need to be overly safe. So sometimes there's this like, not trepidation with talking about it, but it, like it's it's important for everyone. That's interesting because I do think there's a, a line with just being responsible and a line with being a warrior. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, making sure that you're okay because the reality is wilderness is unpredictable. That's the bottom line. And things can happen. And I think some people can forget that because you can go out for 5, 10, 15 years and have nothing happen. That kind of makes you feel like you're invincible. But once again, wildlife, wilderness, it's always unpredictable. And I like to err on the side of caution. That doesn't mean you need to stress about things. That doesn't mean you need to head into a trip freaking out about all the what ifs. None of that. Just cover your bases and that way you can go out, have a great time and you don't have to stress about anything. Yeah, yeah, agreed. The prepared, not scared mentality. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much to Heather for taking the time. She's generously giving away five copies of her Backpacking 101 book in the She Explores podcast Facebook group this Friday, September 20th. You can find her on Instagram at a Colorado gal. After the break, we'll hear from the She Explores community, what they wish they'd known before they got started backpacking, and advice for others who want to do it on their own and solo. All that after this. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Deuter, who have been making technical hiking, backpacking, snow sport, bike, and travel packs German-engineered since 1898 for comfort, fit, and ventilation. We heard from my teammate Laura Hughes during the previous break, I got the opportunity to catch up with her after a recent backpacking trip. Ever since I first took my long road trip in a camper van a couple years ago, I've been completely in love with the Eastern Sierras in California. And somebody else on our team is also in love with the Eastern Sierras, and that's Noelle Russell. The trail in was really beautiful. The nice thing about that area is that there's just views everywhere. So we ended up at an Alpine Lake series at the very end of our trail. And that's where we were able to set up camp and spend the night and enjoy a really beautiful breakfast in the morning. It was just so refreshing. Oh, that sounds lovely. What did you carry everything in? What kind of backpacking bag did you choose to use? So the backpack that I brought with me was the Deuter 45 plus 10 SL, and it was super lightweight, which was really great. 
The backpack had really ample storage, so I was able to bring everything I needed with me. It was really comfortable too, and I loved being able to try it out. I also really love that the Deuter backpacking bags all have some really good ventilation on the back, so your backpack doesn't actually sit directly on your back. I hate back sweat while I'm backpacking. <laughs> I haven't been out backpacking for a couple of seasons, so it was the best backpack I could have brought with me out there to reintroduce myself to backpacking. Learn more by heading to deuter.com. That's D-E-U-T-E-R.com. We're back. I want to set the tone with this voicemail. There's no one right way to do this, and it doesn't have to be a grand adventure. Hi, my name is Laura, and I'm calling about backpacking. I think for me, one of the things I wish someone would have made more clear is that it doesn't have to be an extreme adventure right away. And also that you can do a little bit of car camping and backpacking in the same trip. I Now that I've done a couple of trips, what I enjoy the most is showing up to a campsite, doing my first night of car camping so I can really get settled in, and then going on a short hike. Um, I don't really enjoy hiking more than seven miles in a day, and that's just something that I had to learn through trial and error. But if I wanted to get to those higher peaks and beautiful places, I just add a few more days to my trip where I can really enjoy each part of the backpacking trip. So my, my advice is it doesn't have to be extreme for it to still be backpacking. The next submission is filled with great practical tips, fresh off her very first backpacking trip. Hello there, I'm Tori. I'm from San Diego. I recently just got back from a backpacking trip up in Mammoth with my girlfriends where we had an experience with a bear. I know, oh my gosh. It was our first backpacking trip too, so that was pretty intense. And I have eight tips here for all of you that I wish somebody would have shared with me before I went. The first tip that I wish I would have known was get your permit in advance, girl. Honestly, They often sell out of permits and you really don't want to have to remap and replan a backpacking trip day of. Although if spontaneity is your cup of tea, you know what, have at it, but I would prefer to get my permit in advance. My second tip is to understand that altitude is definitely going to be a factor in your trip. If you're going up an elevation, we went up about 10,000 feet and you have a 25 pound backpack on your back. You're going to be moving a lot slower than you think. You're going to have to take breaks at times, and you're probably going to get to your destination a lot later than expected. My third tip is know how to actually pack your bag. You can take a class at REI. You can ask a well-seasoned friend to help you out, and you're going to want to understand the lay of the land, so to speak, within your backpack so you know where things are and you aren't struggling at night trying to set up your camp when you have no idea where your chair is or your tent is or your clothes are. My fourth tip is to pack more water and food than you actually think you'll need. You're going to be burning thousands of calories a day, and this means that you're going to be really hungry. I actually burned about 1,500 calories a day. Also, please leave heavy water bottles at home. You might want to leave a hydro flask with some ice in it as a treat for yourself back in your car when you're done. But you definitely want to have water bottles that don't weigh a ton. 
I highly suggest investing in a camelback. You can actually take the bladder out of the backpack itself, put it in the pocket on the back of your backpacking backpack, and then there's a clip for the little attachment that you drink out of as well. My fifth tip here would be to please, please research what the weather is gonna be like and dress appropriately. You also might not wanna wear a tank top as you're gonna be wearing a backpack and the straps can dig into your shoulders, so opt for short sleeve shirts. I didn't pack enough warm clothes myself on my first trip because I thought, hey, it's mammoth in summertime, it's gonna be hot. And I froze my cheeks off late at night because it dipped into the low 40s. My sixth tip would be to know the area, know about the wildlife in the area as well. Research is gonna be your best friend here, so if you need to rent a bear box, please rent one. And remember, don't keep any food in your tent at night and don't keep any food nearby your tent as well. And that means smelly goods like toothpaste, chapstick, sunscreen, perfume. Bears can smell from miles away, so you wanna keep yourself safe. My seventh tip is actually know what to do if you see a bear on the trail or if it approaches you. This actually happened to me. We had a bear approach us while we were sitting down eating cliff bars on our way back from Duck Pass and it was really freaking scary. Bear safety is a really big topic. I'm going to link a few resources in the show notes. This leads me to my eighth and final tip, which is please leave your car keys somewhere close to you. The bear does take your pack and you're not going to be able to get it back. You at least want your car keys. And please don't forget to have fun. Backpacking is absolutely exhilarating and there's nothing like sleeping in the great outdoors with almost nobody around you. My first backpacking trip was to a destination on the Panhandle of Nebraska. Not a very popular destination for backpacking, but I lived in Nebraska at the time, and that's what was offered within my state. This is Marie. And I just remember months prior to this trip, I spent time getting familiar with the terrain, looking at the maps, and also accumulating gear, water filters, a lighter tent, things of that nature. And I also researched how I should react if I ever ran into wildlife, anything like that, because I wanted to walk into this confident and knowing that I knew I was at least prepared, even if I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) And I just remember I got to the trailhead and I had my pack on my back and I was walking into the wilderness area And a gentleman pulled me aside and he asked, are you going to camp in there, in the wilderness there? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, you know, there's cats out there, right? And I said, yes. And I just remember all I heard in the tone of his voice was, you're freaking nuts. It kind of instilled this seed of doubt in me. I remember the confidence that I had going on that trip just was completely demolished by just this interaction with this gentleman. And I spent that entire night paranoid that there was a cougar outside of my tent any time the wind rustled it. And I think one advice that I would have for anyone that is going on their first backpacking trip is to be prepared in the sense of do whatever it takes that you will go on that trail and you know that at least you're prepared. At least you know that if anything goes wrong, you at least have this knowledge or this piece of gear. Just do whatever it takes to get there. And secondly, do not let anyone else's words 
take away that confidence that you've instilled in yourself with whatever way that you have built yourself up for this moment of going on your back first backpacking trip. I hope if you're going on your first backpacking trip that you have the most amazing time. I hope no one makes you question as to whether or not if what you're doing is okay. Because I promise backpacking is an incredible experience. Lori had some similar advice as Marie, and I think it's worth repeating to not let the naysayers get in your head. I had some random guy on Facebook, a work connection that I only barely knew, tell me that I should train my sprints because I was the size of bear snacks. This was leading up to my hike of the West Coast Trail, as though a person's size would make any difference at all if attacked by a bear. You can't fight these comments with logic because they come from a place of fear, their fear. So no matter how much you explain about the research you've done or how well prepared you are, they'll stay rooted in that fear unless they make a choice to work through it. And that's on them. It should have no impact at all on your decision to do a solo backpacking trip. You can just laugh it off or if you want to respond, make light of it with a joke. In my case, I retorted, I just need to run faster than all the bigger meal-sized dudes that are on the trail. I added a little wink in there. Then I silenced the thread from my feed and moved on with my life. So something that I wish people had told me when I first started backpacking is that eventually I would find my group. You might remember Sarah Grothgen from an earlier episode this summer about how she feels safest alone on the trail. If you haven't heard it yet, I'll link it in the show notes. I didn't have any friends who were really into the outdoors when I first started backpacking, and it's never been an issue for me to get outside alone, but I did crave having a girl group that I could confide in, that I could discuss gear with, that I could plan trips with, who would just get it. I didn't feel like I had that for a very long time. And there were times early on that I stressed about that. When I stressed about, you know, will I ever find my group of people? Or times when I didn't want to go backpacking solo. Um, Will I ever find someone who will be as into this as I am? And I wish I had just not stressed so much about it and just gone with the flow. Because I've actually found some of my best friends through backpacking. Not only did I finally find a group that is as into the outdoors as I am, but the outdoors have actually introduced me to some of the best people. Whether I'm friends with them in person, in the flesh, or online, backpacking has been such a great way for me to meet people. Hiking solo can be pretty social too. Here's Alexandra, who recently came back from a nine-day solo backpacking trip of the John Muir Trail, or JMT, which is an ancestral Paiute trade route called Numopoyo, meaning Paiute Road, or more directly, People's Trail. So actually, maybe counterintuitively, one of the things I really like about backpacking solo is the camaraderie. Um, When you're by yourself, other hikers are much more willing to talk to you. And I've had um, some really amazing conversations um, and talked to some really great people that I think I might not have talked to um, had I been chatting with my friends. 
particularly women. So I want to give a shout out to this awesome Facebook group called Ladies of the John Muir Trail, which is just like a really supportive community of women who are talking about hiking either the whole trail or a section of the trail or just sort of in the high Sierra in general. I met a lot of women from that group on the trail. We recognize each other through a teal bandana. I met women of all ages, of all experiences. I met women on the trail who'd never backpacked before. I met women who are in their late 60s and are beating me up the passes. And that's been really important to me as someone in my, let's say, mid-30s who is thinking, like, is this something I can do for the rest of my life? And getting out there and seeing these women who are older than me, who are still owning it and still having a great time, it sort of helps deal with that FOMO. Like, I, this hiking is a beautiful thing. Backpacking is a beautiful thing that I can do for the rest of my life. And one more thing I just want to say is that out there on the trail, um, people are really looking out for each other. So, you know, I had situations where my lighter broke and I didn't have a backup lighter. And I met women who were really eager to give me their matches. I was a little low on snacks and I had a really memorable morning on top of Glen Pass where a bunch of people passed around a beer and this woman had a bunch of extra snacks and she gave me a bag full of peanut M&Ms, which was just about the most amazing gift I could get about seven days into the trail when I was hungry and it made me cry. So I guess I would just say like going solo doesn't mean you're going to be lonely. It means you're open to a bunch of new experiences with a bunch of fascinating people. I really recommend everybody just get out there and try it. It's really a spectacular experience. Hi, Gail. This is Meg from the Boston area. Before I hiked the long trail this summer, I had done one overnight. And I think, like anything else, we're just learning as we go. You don't have to be an expert before you get started. The last thing I'll say about backpacking is that I always felt safer when I was backpacking with all my overnight gear on my back and my sleep system and my shelter and and extra food and my stove compared to whenever I would go out uh, as a day hike. And I've done a lot of day hiking. I've hiked the 48 4,000 footers in New Hampshire. And I know for my parents' sake, they would sometimes be nervous uh, about weather or if she gets injured or anything like that. But when you're backpacking, it's incredible because you have a lot more of what you need with you. If you do get injured, if you do need to set up camp and wait for help, you have more gear with you to help you stay safe, warm, dry, and fed. So with that being said, I hope everybody gets really excited and just gets out there and does it and don't ever think that it's not for you or that you're not capable because you totally are. I could send you off with a pep talk. But I don't need to because my good friend Julie, host of Unrooted, a podcast about finding home, did a better job than I possibly could. Here she is.
Hi, my name is Julie Hotz. I am a filmmaker, photographer, multimedia creative, and a long distance backpacker. I didn't learn to backpack or hike really until I was an adult. So you can definitely start at any time as well. Beyond the basics of safety, like having the right gear for the weather you'll be in, making sure that you've got enough water, maps, sun protection, and that you have checked in with somebody to let them know where you're going and when you'll get out. I would say my biggest piece of advice for a first-time backpacker, whether solo or in a group, could essentially be distilled down into a Nike ad. Just do it. That's the hardest part. It's fun and kind of easy to research and dream and look at gear, but setting foot on the trail for your first backpacking trip, getting there can be daunting. And so if you don't have a cheerleader in your life who is cheerleading you on to your first backpacking trip, this is so cheesy, but let me be that cheerleader just for a moment. You can totally do this. I believe in you, and I know that we can all do more than we think we can. You are so capable. You should be so proud of yourself for wanting to do this. And no matter if you like it or not, you're probably going to learn something, and you can always take that experience with you. I believe in you. You've got this. And... It's normal to be afraid sometimes, but you can still move forward. Again, I know that's so cheesy, but we all need a pep talk sometimes. Thank you to everyone who submitted stories and advice. Featured on this episode is Maggie Rayberg, Holly Bolas, Jennifer Jansen, Lindsay Falkenberg, Victoria Wang, Heather Baylog Rochefort, Laura, Tori Morrison, Marie Vanderpool, Lori O'Connell, Sarah Grothchen, Alexandra Goldman, Meg Dagan, and Julie Hotz. There were a lot of resources mentioned here. I'll link them in the show notes. The majority of the voices you heard are members of our She Explores podcast Facebook group. It's my favorite place to connect with listeners of the show and get the kind of thoughtful advice we heard today. Thanks to our sponsors, Merrill, Deuter, and Rooted. Links and discount codes are listed in the show notes. Learn more about She Explores by heading to our website, she-explores.com, and support the show by leaving us a review wherever you listen or sharing the podcast with a friend. It means a lot to see you referencing episodes you loved on social media. Music is by Lee Rosefair, Josh Woodward, Maiden, and Kay Engel. Until next week, have fun out there.